very pleasant good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight as we kick back and talk about the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians over the past seven days. And, of course, as always, we have to bring in our resident Reds expert to talk about the trials and turmoil of the Cincinnati Reds this week, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you doing? I'm good, Dave. Uh, you don't have to bring me in, especially today, uh, because after last night's fiascos, with that's plural, uh, the Reds are toast. And the question is now, what do you do for 2015? But we'll get into that in a few minutes. Yeah, before we get into anything, Mark, do you wear glasses? No. Let me tell you something. Just reading the glasses. Last, well, that, that's, that works because my glasses are for reading also. And over the last two or three weeks, as you've known, but probably not a lot of our listeners, I have been struggling because my prescription had not been coming in. And I was trying to read the Ask Us questions. And when you have short arms, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, my glasses are in. I can see now. Well, congratulations. That does help life. Or it does, very much so. Well, Mark, let's let's start out with the Indians here tonight. Ironically, believe it or not, it was a year ago this time, Mark, that I played the funeral music for the Cleveland Indians. And ironically, they were in the same spot a year ago that they are right now in the 2014 season 62 and 61 three games back this year they're behind kansas city in the central division and not detroit they're three and two on the week they've been five and five in the last ten they're five games behind seattle for the last wild card spot mark i don't know how terry francona does it because this team defensively is pathetic this team offensively is pathetic they're starting pitching, three-fifths of it is gone, and yet this team is exactly where they were a year ago at this time. Well, to me, it is a testament to Francona. I think that's why he's there. Uh, it doesn't take a lot of talent as a manager to manage, frankly, say the Los Angeles Dodgers or the uh, St. Louis Cardinals or the, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers are really a good ball team. And so it, it's less of a challenge to manage those teams than it does – the Cleveland Indians, or the Cincinnati Reds, for that matter. So I, I think, you know, the excitement that Francona brought to the organization when they hired him, I think is well-founded. And once they support him with some players, I think he's going to make a difference. That's the question, though, Mark, and we're going to get into both GMs tonight, I've got a feeling, because the conversation always tends to lean that way, <laughs> the way it has been over since the about the month of July. But nonetheless, I mean, that's going to be the key ingredient for the Indians is whether or not they're going to bring in some players to help fortify this lineup. Right now they've been without Michael Bourne for six weeks. He came back on Friday and started the last two games against Baltimore, really didn't do a lot. Nick Swisher is going now, I think, for the sixth second opinion on his knee injury as to whether or not he needs to undergo surgery for that thing. He's been relatively non-existent. That's your two highest-priced ball players, and they've been gone for most of the year. And the Indians right now are depending upon. Hey, last week the guy they got for Esdrubal Cabrera, Mark Zach Walter, came up from Columbus, had a game-winning home run, walk-off home run against Arizona on Tuesday, and then turned around and hit a home run against Baltimore on. Friday night. Just he, He's played some outstanding baseball. Tyler Holt came up from the minor leagues, who's an unknown outfielder, 24-year-old outfielder. Nobody had ever really heard of him before, if you didn't know much about the Indians' farm system. He came up and hit 500 over the week, and what did he get for his efforts? A demotion to Columbus when Danny Salazar came up yesterday to pitch for the Indians. I don't know where you go from here. As far as if you're an Indians fan, I really don't know what to expect out of this front office anymore. Well, I I can empathize with you. I think all Reds fans can empathize with uh, with Indians fans, but but frankly, the the problems the Indians are facing I think are minor compared to the to the 
major, major problems facing the Reds. It's not only in the field, it's, it's at the front office, it's the contracts that have to be negotiated over the next 6 to, to 12 months, including the contract that is up with Walt Jockety coming up, I think, in the next 30 days. So th- there's some big decisions that have, that have been made already that could negatively impact this team for the next 10 years. That's, that's not an exaggeration. And I think no, the, it, it's absolutely not. And I think the Indians have, number one, I think they have a far better farm system than the Reds. Uh, their talent is equal. And I think they have a team that wants to win. So we'll see what happens. And, and I, I'm always of the mind that if you're a front office guy or a general manager, you don't make a deal for one guy when you need three. And I think if there's a defense of the Indians, it's the fact that they, I think they need more than one player. Uh, on the other hand, I think the Rebs, had they added one player uh, back in June or July, they, they would be in contention right now, but they, they, they certainly are not. Okay, Mark, let, let's take the situation with the Cincinnati Reds and let's look at it here this evening. First of all, the contract situation that I'm going to just put the – Put the mayonnaise on the bread, Mark. Walt Jockety has put this team behind the eight ball with the contract situation that he's got them in. So let's look step by step. Homer Bailey, what is his situation right now? Well, there's a lot of fear right now that they say that this uh, issue he has with his arm is a temporary thing and it's going to be fine. No, don't worry. It's going to be fine. That has been said so many times prior to Tommy John's surgery. Uh, they just gave this guy a $100 million contract. And if he has surgery, that means he's going to be out for at least a year and a half. And, uh, you know, this throws a real mucky wrench into the Reds' rotation. Then you've got Joey Votto. And, you know, one of the, the guys that I like to read is Paul Doherty of the Cincinnati Inquirer because he, I, I guess he shares my opinion, which is why I like him, <coughs> about Joey Votto's uh, either inability or unwillingness to play when he's dinged up. Now, that, that word dinged up is very subjective because some guys can play with pain better than others, and nobody knows the kind of pain that he is enduring in his leg. But every player plays hurt, and for him to go AWOL on this team for as long as he has, I hope he's in a lot of pain, and I don't mean that in, in a negative way. But I hope he's not one of these guys who is not going out there because he's basically, when you look at their needs for the Reds, they need a number three or four hitter. That's what Joey Votto is. And he's been out basically all year. Now, there's some rumor he's going to come back in September, but so what? The Reds are going to be ten games out and it won't matter. But he has not been the kind of guy who has played through some pain where other guys have. And, again, you don't know how painful it is, but Joey Votto hitting two seventy five, even if he hits only 10 home runs a year, is far, far better than the Reds had all this year. And a hurt Joey Votto, uh, is, is, he, he strengthens the lineup, he lengthens the lineup, and I hope he has been as injured as everybody says he is, or at least he says he is. Do you remember the name Eric Davis? Sure. Wasn't it him that played with a lacerated kidney? Well, he got a lacerated kidney in the fifth, uh, third game of the World Series and did not play in the seventh game. But uh, he played with a lot of injuries, and a lot of guys do. And I, I'm always hesitant to say you know, a guy's soft or, or, or whatever, because you don't know the pain they're enduring. And there, I have been injured at times before sporting events where I could not play because I was hurt. But there have been times I've been hurt, but I've played. So you, you have to measure that. Are you playing with pain, which everybody does, or are you playing with an injury? I don't want anybody to play with an injury. If you, if you have a lacerated kidney or you have a quadricep strain that is so severe you can't walk, then you don't play. But clearly Joey Votto was playing to some degree of success before he took off for two and a half months. And that's the question that nobody will answer, but everybody will question. 
How tough is he? And Paul Doherty, you know, he, he made that comment and got a lot of grief for it. And I can understand why. I can understand if Joey Votto was hurt, him getting, Joey getting upset about that kind of article. At the same time, it persists with Joey Votto that this season has gone to hell in a handbasket because they didn't have their best player. How can Joey Votto get upset at that article when the proof is in the pudding? Ever since he signed the long-term contract, Mark, he's been injured. He's barely played as many games as he has missed. Well, again, you, you don't know how severe the pain is. That's why I'm not ready to, to jump up and down and say Joey Votto is a wuss. I'm not saying that uh, because he could be severely injured. But, but my, my fear is, and, and I'm, I'm going to read a comment here from, from, from Paul Doherty, uh, that, that jo- Joey Votto will not come back to the lineup until Joey Votto is ready. And that, to me, speaks of a guy who's looking out for himself. I mean, it sounds that way. He's looking out for himself more than he is to the team. Clearly, when I see Brandon Phillips coming back a week early from a, a torn ligament in his hand, that makes me think that he wants to play. Now, will he play well? I don't know. But the, the fact is he wants to get back in there. You can't, you can't stop him from getting back in there. A superstar with that contract, if he says, I want to play, I can play, I can make a contribution, he will play. And the front office wants him to play. The fans want him to play. He's a, he's a draw for the fans. So it's Joey Votto making the decision, hey, I don't want to play because I'm not 100%. Well, guess what? Nobody's 100%. Well, and the problem that not only has that brought about, but now you've got to look at this Homer Bailey injury. And let's just let's just surmise right now because that's what we're here to do is just surmise. If he is out for a year and a half, the rest of this year and all of next year if he has to undergo the Tommy John surgery, it's going to take him at least a year to get back to the form that he was before. Mark, that's two and a half years out of a six-year contract that he signed with the Reds that he's not going to be out on the field. And on top of that, not only are they paying him the exorbitant sum that they are, they have got to come back with all of a sudden their pitching staff, Mark, has been decimated because you're going to lose either Cueto or Latos, and as you said last week, probably Latos, and that means that you're going to be negotiating against yourself with an injured Homer Bailey making all that money when you're trying to sign Cueto to keep him long-term. And then you've got Alfredo Simon to bring on board. All of a sudden, that Sterling starting pitching staff is not as good as what it was just simply because of one move and one injury. Well, there's a couple of things you said there of interest. I, I think the the thing that scares me most is you said – it's going to take him, if he has to go under, under surgery, a year and a half to two years to come back and be what he was. What he was is a 500 pitcher. That's what scares me. If he was a pitcher coming back and he was a 600 pitcher, he's winning six, seven out of ten games like Cueto does or like Latos does, you know, I'm ready to wait. But what scares me is that he has never been a star pitcher. He has been an average pitcher. He's got great stuff, but he hasn't put it on the board in terms of wins and losses. He's a little over 500. And he he can go out there and look great, pitch a no-hitter, but he can go out there and get lit up by a last-place team, as he has done. So what bothers me more about the, the Homer Bailey deal or his injury is not when he's coming back. It's the fact that the general manager of this team valued him at almost $20 million a year. If you're paying him $20 million a year, you got to pay Cueto 30 to keep him. There's no question. At least. At least. Cueto, right now, he's 15 and what, 15 and 6? Uh, he has pitched lights out here for the last uh, month and a half, two months. <coughs> and he's, it looks to me he's getting better and stronger every year. So, uh, that's what he has done, uh, the general manager, in terms of establishing that benchmark. And in terms of uh, Simon, I think Simon was an aberration. He should be in the bullpen. 
That's probably where he will go next year. But what also scares me is Stevenson and Lorenzen, the Reds' two big stud pitchers in the minor leagues, are getting their heads handed to them. They're not pitching well this year. And the Reds had, had really bet the farm on these guys to some extent, particularly Stevenson, and he's not had a good year. And if he is not what he is have been made out to be the Reds. You're right. The Reds have a big problem in their starting pitching. Well, I look at this this Tommy John surgery, and I and I take Homer Bailey in conjunction with Josh Tomlin, who's had it, and several other pitchers who have had it. And they've always said that, yeah, it takes a year for them to rehab, and then their first year back in Major League Baseball. And we're seeing this out of Josh Tomlin right now with the Indians. It takes them a year to get their control. It takes them a year to figure out their arm slot, how to throw a curveball, how to throw the slider. They just don't come back and, and relearn. They have to basically what I'm saying is they have to relearn how to throw these pitches because they've got a tighter spin on the ball. They've got a tighter elbow. Let's just put it that way. It's hard to believe, but that's what they've got. So it takes them a year to figure out how to throw the baseball again after rehab. And that's what you're going to find with Homer Bailey. But I've got to ask you this question, Mark. Alfredo Simon, the way he has pitched this year, have you ever seen, other than the two no-hitters that Bailey has thrown, have you ever seen the consistency out of Bailey that Simon has shown just three-quarters of the year? Well, Simon hasn't won since the All-Star break, but he has, he's only been lit up once. And you're not paying him, you're paying him a million five. <laughs> you're paying over Bailey $20 million a year. And I don't see a big difference in their performance uh, this year. And when I say that the Reds have big problems, it's more than on the field. It's contractually. And my my point about Castellini and his relationship with Walt Jockety is this. If Jockety is doing what he is being told to do, in other words, don't sign players because, whatever the reason is, don't bring in a hitter even though we need two or three. If it's not his decision, then you can't blame him because maybe he's being told by Castellini, look, 2014 isn't going anywhere. We're too injured. Let's just keep everything we've got. We'll bulk up for 15 and go after it. That's, that's a rationale. That's an argument one can make. But if he's doing this on his own, and, and, and he makes a decision that this organization is so deep and so good, but so great, so much great talent that they can't be improved by going out there and getting somebody like Marlon Bird or whomever you know, pick a name or two. That, that's that's idiotic. This team could have been better this year. This team could have won the division this year. No question in my mind. With the pitching they had, they could. They have lost. I think what 18 or 20 game by one run, and you know that they have so many opportunities to win this year that they just have not done it. That's where I blame Jockety if he's the one making the decision to do that. But Mark, I've got to say this also: one could make the argument that Homer Bailey's injury was due in part to the fact that this team cannot hit the ball, and that and we've talked about it from time to time, that these put these pitchers have to put added pressure on themselves to not only just give up no runs, but one run may mean extra innings, two runs may mean a defeat, and that's added pressure and tension on your arm. Well, it, it, there, there's a, a saying in baseball, it's not how many pitches you throw, it's, it's the conditions in which you throw them. And if you're a starting pitching pitcher, no matter what the score is, but you're always in trouble. You know, you're always giving up a walk, a hit here. Your, your whip is one and a half, and you're always in trouble. You're always pitching under stress. And it's the same thing with the team not scoring runs. You're right. You're always pitching under stress. So those pitches have to be perfect. They have to be a little harder. You, you know, you put more behind them. And I think you're right. You, you, could, you could argue that the pitchers have been – negatively affected both psychologically and physically by the fact this team has not scored runs. Now, yesterday, uh, the Reds scored plenty of runs, but the pitching blew up. So, you know, there's so many weaknesses on this team that, um, you know, 
it's one of these things that you, you hate to be right about, but you and I talked about it over the season, and it's why I picked the Reds to finish fourth in the division, just above the Cubs. It's the fact that they have no strength in any area other than starting pitching. And they don't have a dominant, uh, they don't have a dominant offensive force anymore. And with the injuries they had, they were simply not able to cobble together enough runs to make this team win. And but it's David, it's it's a three-year-old problem, and they refuse to fix it. And I cannot figure out why. Well, and I think you know when you look, and and I've seen this happen with a lot of other clubs, Mark, not just the Reds yesterday, but when you've got a pitching staff that puts so much pressure on themselves not to give up any runs, and then suddenly in a ball game they see that the offense has come to life and they've scored four, five, six runs, subconsciously that pitcher thinks, Whew, I can relax a little bit today, and all of a sudden they're throwing lollipops up at home plate, and they're in another ball game, only this time it's a high offensive output. So what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, it's physically taxing on you to be in a nothing-nothing ball game, but it's also mentally taxing, and, and subconsciously you kind of say, boy, I can kind of let up today if the offense is hitting, and all of a sudden, like I said, you're in an offensive juggernaut game. Well, the the problems that face the Reds, I, I think their biggest decision is going to be what they do with Jockety. I think, I think his contract is up September 30th, I think. I'm not sure about that. But it's, it's close when his contract is up. And if they decide to stay with Walt Jockety, this team is making a statement that they believe the team they have can win. And I don't know how anybody could have looked at this team going into 2014 and said this team is going to compete against. You know, they're not even they're not even close to Milwaukee. Milwaukee is so much better than they are. St. Louis is a lot better. Pittsburgh is better. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a baseball scientist to look at this roster going into 2014 and believe they could contend. They can't contend, not with this lineup, and particularly when you lose Joy Votto, Brandon Phillips, you lose Matt Latos the first two months of the season, you had on and on and on, all these injuries. And then, uh, as, as, as was said by a writer, um, Rome is burning Red's front office fiddles. That was the headline of a, of a news item I read I'd like to share with you later on. Okay. You know, another thing that I want to bring up also, Mark, is the fact that over the weekend, the Indians played three a three-game set with Baltimore. They took two out of three games against Baltimore. And what I found amazing was, is the announcers went down how similar the Orioles are to the Indians. Now, to the layman, that may sound unbelievable, unfathomable, because of the fact that Baltimore has the biggest lead of any leader in their division in Major League Baseball. They're six and a half games up in the Eastern Division of the American League. That's the biggest lead of anybody. And the Indians are loggering around the 500 mark as they're off tonight. And we've already gone over their record and everything. Third place in the American League Central. But when you look at these teams and you put them up side by side, they've got virtually the same batting average, virtually the same run scored, virtually the same run differential, virtually the same ERA, virtually the same everything except in two categories, Mark. And those two categories are Baltimore has hit 28 more home runs than the Indians have. And you can almost virtually say that that's all because of Nelson Cruz. And secondly, the Orioles have committed 38 less errors than the Indians. The Indians have committed 95 errors so far in 123 games this year. They committed 98 in all of the 2013 season. Baltimore and Cincinnati are the two top defensive teams in Major League Baseball as of today. I looked it up. And when you look at that, Mark, when you see where Baltimore is and where Cleveland is, and you look at the errors, you know what that tells me, Mark? That tells me that the Indians are making a huge mistake in not bringing up Francisco Lindor. And why? Why? Because hitting's not their problem, Mark. 
defense is their problem. And we are being told that this kid is major league ready defensively right now. So if that's the case, get him up here from Columbus and play him. And it brings up a mistake I think the Indians front office has made. And I'm going to ask you this question. It may be a mistake that the Reds front office is making. And that is, in my mind, the Indians for years have left kids at the minor league level because of this arbitration rule or whatever rule that they want to go by, saying that they don't want them to hit free agency too soon and they lose the ball player. But in this case, I think what they've done is they have left these ball players in the minor leagues too long that these kids become disillusioned when they see that a Jose Ramirez, who was playing second base and second fiddle behind Lindor for the last two years, suddenly gets elevated to the major leagues. And Lindor's got to be standing on there going, why? And I'm going to bring up the same situation for Robert Stevenson. He's been on the Reds' horizon for ages. So is Singrani. But, I mean, as far as Stevenson is concerned, he's seen all these guys come up and go by him. I mean, he's got to be disillusioned in the minor leagues after a while and kind of wonder, what is it going to take for me to get up there? And, again, subconsciously, here you go. Neither player, Lindor or Stevenson, are playing very well. Well, it's. I think it goes back to an overall philosophy that I think a lot of the the older general, general managers have. And I, I think there's a new young breed that wants to win now. Uh, th- this idea about bringing a guy up or not bringing him up for fear of losing, you know, in six years. You know what? A fan will say, I don't give a damn about six years. That's what they're going to say. They want to win now. And I, I think if most general managers looked at the length of contracts that general managers have and managers have, I would take the, the impression, uh, be under the impression that I'd better win now. And that's what the Cardinals do. That's what a lot of the, the, when the Atlanta Braves were winning, that's what they did. They, they, they won, they want to win that year. And they did. And they won it for 14 years. Can you imagine that? Winning 14 divisions in a row? That's what they did. Now they had a good farm system, but they brought those kids up and they traded off people that they, they felt they were at the top of their value, and that's what Billy Bean does. That's what a lot of that's what Theo Epstein did with Boston, and it works. And a lot of these teams now, you look at the Yankees, how their philosophy has changed. They are now thinking long term. They want to develop their own stat. Great, great idea. When's the last time they won? <laughs> you know, a long time ago. Well, that's the point. And San Francisco. They go out and make deals, and they, they've won two World Series in the last five years. So these teams have philosophies that I, I think are really based on the age of the GM because things have changed. It's, it's, it's a new game out there with the new uh, cybermetrics, the statistics analysis that they, they go through. And I think a guy like Jockety, uh, you know, he got run out of St. Louis <laughs> because they didn't win. And he hasn't won here yet. They, you know, they, they win a division or they get to the playoffs, but they have no, the, the, the rosters. I went back and looked at the 2010, 2011, 2012 teams, and they really had no chance to win with what they had. They could win a division because then the central division was weak or they get a wild card. Now the central division is not weak. It's very strong and the Reds can't compete. There's only one guy that got run out of St. or is possible going to get run out of St. Louis as quick as Walt Jockety did, and that's the police chief down in Ferguson. Yeah, amen. Wow, what a mess. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I mean, you look at this, Mark, and and <clears throat> what Jockety and Antonetti have done is they have they have told their teams by their lack of activity or the activity that they have done, that they have absolutely no confidence in their team to win a division or a World Series game. I mean, you could make that argument. For example, the Indians, they trade away their ace from a year ago. They trade away their starting shortstop from the last five years, although I agree with that. And they get nothing back in return, virtually nothing of any major league consequence. The Reds, 
virtually do nothing. And if it's the case, Mark, of Castellini telling Jockety, you know, hey, let's just can this season, you know, the injuries, then why is Walt Jockety going on uh, WLW down in Cincinnati and telling Mo Egger and, and, and Lance McAllister that this is a team that can win a division once we get healthy. We're going to stand pat. Well, again, uh, you, you bring up another interesting point there just by what you said. Uh, I have been just appalled at the press, both the, the radio and TV press and the, and the print press, about their lack of, I guess, uh, outrage over what this team has done this year. And the reason is, number one, all the announcers work for the Cincinnati Reds. They used to work for the TV station or the radio station. No longer. They work for the Reds. And that's going to continue to – you never hear anybody – the only guy I hear occasionally is Chris Welsh, who, who sometimes he'll, he'll give a, a pretty stiff jab to the Reds. But even Marty Brenneman, maybe in his old age, he's, you know, he's decided not to carry the torch anymore. He just doesn't care. Uh, he, he's so mild now compared to what he used to be. And, but what really is egregious is the the, the print press, the, the newspaper guys. Uh, I think they're afraid to say anything negative about the team for fear they won't get an interview or a player won't like them or the general manager won't talk to them or, or whatever. And there was a time when you know the, the, the guys behind the typewriters were the, were the guys who kept everybody straight and called it like it was. And I don't see that anymore. Nobody seems to care. And that's why I'd like to read something to you if you have a second there. Uh, yeah. I, uh, this came from Paul Doherty. And he wrote it last week, even before the homes or the uh, disaster in Denver yesterday. But uh, he, he had so many good points. I want to share it with our listeners. This is from, uh, I think, about a week ago. The Reds have had it. They're sinking like Jeff Ruby's waterfront. After a 3-4 homestand and a 9-16 record since the All-Star break, the Reds are 60-60, and a perfect record for a perfectly average team whose caretakers have felt no need to make improvements. What will history say about the 14 season? The injuries will be an issue. Mid-season injuries to Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips carved the heart out of the team. Injuries are an excuse, though, not a reason. And while Phillips is busting to get it back in time for what the naive believe will be a September run, we are told there is no timetable for Vado to return to what Brian call Brian Price calls baseball-related activities. The only thing that's clear about Vado's strained distal quadricep is that Vado will return when Vado believes Vado is ready and not an inning before. Meantime, the club scores just over three runs a game. Nothing has been done to help an everyday eight that is long on grit and short on talent. Nothing has been done to support the best red starting rotation in memory, in very long memory. Rome is burning, the front office fiddles. Has there ever been a team with a more obvious need so obviously ignored? The numbers help the blind to see. Red starting pitchers are second in baseball in ERA and batting average against. They're allowing half a run less a game than the average National League starting staff. This collection of starters is as good as the Reds have had since when? As good as either starting staff from 75 and 76, deeper than the 90 group, better than any Dusty Baker rotations. Conversely, the Reds are last in baseball in runs since the All-Star break. Also last in on-base percentage, on-base slugging, and batting average. They've been caught stealing as much as any team in baseball. They've scored 79 runs in 25 post-break games. The Reds lost their 28th one-run game Wednesday, which is good if you're trying to finish last. They lost Tuesday night, oh, the ironies of ironies, to Boston, another run-challenge club, because the Boston Red Sox dealt for a nice bat at the deadline. Jonas Cespedes crushed a two-sweet fastball into the center field grass in the eighth. He can hit, but now he hits for Boston. Anyone else wonder what one bat might have meant since the break. This waiting for Brandon business is not productive. BP is a gamer. No one enjoys pulling on a Reds uniform more. He torched his own stats last year playing through pain. 
His return, perhaps as soon as next week, will help, but not enough. This will be the last mention of a deal. The philosophical push-pull regarding Treading's prospects has never, ever been more of a nebulous word in any sport, plus the eternal tug-of-war of wallet upstairs has left the club adrift in consummate mediocrity. A deal needed to be made. Skip the reasoning regarding prospects. In baseball, you win when you have a chance. Billy Bean doesn't worry about tomorrow, today. The Reds, seven games over 500 and a game and a half out of first place at the break, had a chance. They did nothing. No help for Frazier, Mesoraco, or Johnny Baseball. No cavalry for the back end of the bullpen, as dominant as any in the game. No aid for Brian Pena and Ramon Santiago, overachieving bit guys who have kept the fabric of this team stitched. Nothing to make sure that the big starting rotation wasn't sacrificed on the altar of three runs a game. Now, it doesn't matter. The hamster wheel spins merrily. Everyone sees what's happening. No one's doing a thing about it. Now, you and I have been talking over the last several months about what our teams, respective teams, could do. But I think Paul uh, articulated, at least in my mind, exactly what I was feeling about what this team should have and could have done, but they did not. Well, in that article and, and what you just read, Mark, leads us right into our first question of our Ask Us segment here tonight. And, of course, you can send us in your questions to Ask Us or DMitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com, or you can send me a tweet to at OHBBCoHost. First question of the night, Mark, is from Peter J. and it asks, Last week, Mark mentioned Bob Castellini may be holding back Jockety from making moves. Do you believe Castellini believes making money is more important than winning? Yes, yes, I do. And I don't think that's Bob Castellini alone. Bob Castellini is a very wealthy man. He's made money his whole life doing smart things business-wise. What... I am guilty of, and all of us who are fans of the game, we forget sometimes this is a business. Now, in point of fact, whether the Reds make a million dollars or lose a million dollars is not going to change Bob Castellini's life at all. But the make no mistake, the Reds are an organization that is put together with stockholders to make money. And I think philosophically they would never say this, but there is a, a modicum of success that this team can have that will retain a fan base. Now, they, they will argue, well, we've been to the playoffs three of the last four years. Yes, but you got beat the first round every time. But that's enough to make most fans say, wow, I can't wait till next year. The Reds do not, they are not, and that nobody can tell me that this team tries to win a, a division. It does not. They try to be competitive. They tried to look ahead five, six years, which is great, but they're not committed to winning this year or next year. I, I agree with you, and I feel the same way about the Indians. I think the Indians are totally satisfied with bringing in their twelve to 15,000 people a game. Mark, if, if this dollar dog night was such a success, they would just start selling dollar dogs at every ball game. <laughs> that, that's the way I look at it. And I go back to when the Indians were in their heyday back in the 90s, when Dick Jacobs was the owner. And his edict to John Hart as general manager, and everybody knew it. It was a well-known thing. They, di they didn't even try to hide it, Mark. Dick Jacobs wanted 8% off the top. The rest of it could be spent on anything John Hart wanted. That was it. And the Indians went out and they spent money. They had a payroll over $100 million one year. They went out and got Robbie Alomar, the likes of him. They went out and got other high-priced free agents like Eddie Murray, Dave Winfield, players like that. As long as Dick Jacobs got his 8% off the top, that's all he cared about, and the rest of it could be spent on the baseball team. But I can tell you this... I don't think there are many owners out there that would say, give me 8 10% off the top. I think they want the whole nut. Well, I, again, you go back to philosophy, and the Miami Marlins have won two World Series uh, since the Reds have won their one 
World Series in 1990. And, you know, the Marlins came into existence when? In 96 or 90? I forget when they came into existence. But it was, it was earlier than that. It was 1990. Oh, 1990. Okay. Well, in that same period of time, they won two World Series championships. The Reds have won one. Yeah, one against the Indians. Yes, that's right. And, uh, and Arizona has won a World Championship. San Francisco's won two. Uh, you know, the, the, the philosophy has to be that we are organizationally, I've been with big organizations, and you have a window of opportunity where you have a new product, a new service, or whatever, that you've got to make it work. And the Reds, over the last three or four years, have had that window of opportunity, and they have not made it work because they have not taken the next step. Why in God's name would you sign Joey Votto to a $25 million contract for the next 10 years and not back him up with another bat? That, it, it is so ludicrous. It's such a bad investment. Joey Votto is not a power hitter. He's a line drive doubles hitter who can hit 320 for you every year, but he's not going to hit 35, 40 home runs, and there's nobody behind him. That's why he's so selective at the plate, because they don't pitch to him. And for, yeah. for for three or four years, the Reds have done nothing to go out and, and support him. And he would never say it, but, you know, it, it's so obvious to anybody who, who knows anything about baseball. That team is so easily pitched to. That's why I found it amazing this year that they moved Phillips in front of Votto in the batting order. I always thought that Phillips, staying in the cleanup spot, I don't care whether or not... Jay Bruce was back, or Jay Votto, or or Ludwig was hitting or not. I always thought Brian Phillips should have just stayed in that cleanup spot. And hey, you could have moved Frazier to number two. You could have Cozart at number two in the batting order. You could have uh, Schumacher at number two in the batting order. Anybody who's going to be at number two in the batting order is going to be getting a lot of fastballs anyway because of the fact that Hamilton, when he gets on base, they got to throw fastballs. Well, I think there's a bigger issue in, in terms of, of the weakness of this front office. And Jock, or, uh, Doherty hit on it. The Reds have arguably the second-best pitching staff in baseball, uh, up and down, bullpen, uh, starting pitching. They have the best defense in baseball, and yet they're in fourth place. Is that difficult to figure out why? <laughs> when you have great pitching, you have great defense, Gee, I wonder what we're missing on this team. I can't figure it out. But no, we're fine. We don't need to make any moves. We're, we're good. You know, we're, we're going to stick with what we got. Great. Why did the 1989 Los Angeles Dodgers win the pennant and the World Series? They had virtually the same starting rotation the Reds have, the same defense the Reds have, the same hitting the Reds have. But what was the difference? They had one guy, Kirk Gibson. Yeah. That's right. That was that was it. I mean that. I mean, virtually, he came out and he hit the home run in game one that everybody remembers, and didn't play, didn't even have an at bat after that in the rest of the World Series. And the Dodgers won that crazy World Series against the Oakland A's and the most renowned manager in our game today, Tony Larusa. That's right. And you know he couldn't he couldn't figure out how to beat him. But the Reds well, can't figure out that formula. Well, it's going to be interesting. Every general manager has to work for somebody, and he works for Bob Castellini. And he he's getting his orders. We don't know what those orders are. and But I think at some point it'll come out. It'll have to come out. Why did this team do nothing? I mean, after they won in 2010, they did nothing. After they got swept by the Phillies, and they come back in 2011, and they don't win. And people said the same thing, like, what are you doing? You need hitting, guys. You need hitting. Well, that was four years ago. And they've done nothing since. And that's why I say Walt Jockety is stealing Bob Castellini's money. Mandy, our second question. Mandy asks tonight, how did the Indians let Josh Willingham pass through waivers to Kansas City last week? You know, I could ask the same thing about the Reds, too, Mark. The fact of the matter is, I don't care if Josh Willingham is going to is going to be the bat that would put the Reds or the Indians over the top. But in the Indians' point of view, Mark, I got to say, 
how in the world could you let this guy go to Kansas City? That's the team you're fighting for the division with. You can't let this guy just pass through waivers and get right to Kansas City. It's improbable for you to even think that, especially when you're sitting there and you need a right-handed bat, a right-handed power-hitting outfielder. I don't care if this guy's going to win the division for you or not. You have got to show not only the fans but your team that you are fighting for them and to let that guy pass through waivers, have a chance to block that thing and pass right through waivers and go to Kansas City, I think is just abysmal by the Indians' front office. And I, and I could say, quite honestly, it's the same thing for the Reds. They had a chance to get him, too, on the waiver wire. But, David, I, I think it goes back to a bigger issue that in they would never say it, never admit it. But I think both teams know they're not going to win this year. That's that's what they're saying. By their lack of action, whether they're verbalizing it or not, they are saying, eh, this ain't our year for any number of reasons. So we're not going to give up uh, you know, a, a solid minor league player for a Josh Willingham because he's not going to make a difference. I don't think he'd make a difference, frankly, with either team. Would he make him better? Yeah, sure, but not, not good enough to go out there and compete for a wild court or a division. I, I just don't think it's there. And I, I think the that that decision, though, what I take umbrage with, I, I can understand not going after Willingham at this point in the year. There's only, what, 38 games left. That decision should have been made. They should have got a bat, at least, in fact, both teams should have got a bat back in June or May. That's would have, it would have made a difference, not now. Well, then tell me why. Give me one good reason why anybody should go to an Indians or a Reds game the rest of the year. There is none. Point taken. <laughs> Our third question tonight, Marcus B. Good asks, you guys talk about Tom Hamilton and Marty Brenneman a lot and how you like them. If you had to hire a new announcer from another team, what announcer would you hire? That's a good question. Uh, I like the guy who does, I don't know his name, but he does, I think it's the telecast on the uh, the Brewers Network. I don't know who he is, but I really like his delivery. Uh, he, he doesn't get too excited, but when there's something to get excited about, he, he's, he's very good. Uh, I know you are a big fan of Tom Brenneman. I think he's the worst announcer the Reds have had in years. Uh, I like Marty. Uh, he's slipping a lot. But uh, that's a very good question, and there, there's some really good announcers out there. I like uh, uh, John, what's the guy for the Giants, the big heavy set guy? John Miller. John Miller. I think he's great. He's always been great. And the other night, I heard Ben Scully. And, you know, he's, what is it, 83? Uh, 86. 86? My God. He is so articulate and so sharp, and uh, his delivery is so great, only to be emulated, never duplicated. But uh, I would take the guy for the Brewers, and, if I could, and, I, and I've not heard all of them, so that's kind of unfair. But uh, there's some good ones out there, and I, I think the Reds' weaknesses, they have too, too many announcers. they got like six or seven guys rotating, and it, it really, I think, hinders the game. See, I think if I had to hire a guy for the Indians, the most logical choice, if I could have anybody I wanted, the most logical choice in Cleveland would be Dwayne Kuyper the San Francisco Giants announcer, just simply because he's a former Indians player. But if I could pick anybody I wanted, and I could care less if they played for the Indians or not, I'd take John Miller. Another guy that I really like is with the Dodgers, Charlie Steiner, the old ESPN former sports center announcer. But, you know, when you listen to that guy do a game on the radio, Mark, I, I never thought he'd be that great of a play-by-play -play guy. But he is pretty good. Um and I think the New York Yankee announcers are overrated. Um, you know, the, the Tiger announcers are are pretty good announcers. Um, so there's there's a lot of announcers out there that I agree with you are extremely good. Any more, when you're listening to guys on the radio, Mark, it's a lost art in baseball. It, it used to be that's where you had to listen to the ball games. But anymore, everybody's got every game on TV, either with Fox Sports or whomever, and you've got the television announcers that everybody listened to. But it used to be the radio guys were the ones that you... I, I grew up listening to the radio guys. For example, I, I still cannot believe that, um, and now his name escapes me, but the guy in St. Louis is still doing ball games. 
He worked with Jack Buck back in the 70s. Mike Shannon. Mike Shannon. Yeah. I can't believe he's still doing ball games. Yeah, he, he's not a great announcer, but, you know, he, he's so energetic. He's, he's like Joe Nuxall was to the Reds. You know, Joe, Joe wasn't a great announcer, but everybody loved Joe because he was so, he was so into it. And, uh, you know, the, the guys that are coming up today are more knowledgeable, I think. But what bothers me about Marty these days, he's mailing it in. And he, you know, he's seen it all. And I don't blame him. He's in his 70s now. He just got remarried. He's got more things to do. He misses, he misses a lot of games. And that's, he's earned it. There's no problem about that. But I think it, you lose continuity when you have six or seven or eight different announcers doing the game. Uh, you know, those guys used to be your friends, and they knew every pitch of every inning that was made, and that's not the case anymore. And, um, yep. again, Tom Brenneman just drives me insane. I, I know you like him, but I, I think he's just terrible. <laughs> you know, another guy that never gets the credit that he deserves, and he's right up there as far as I'm concerned with Vin Scully, Dick Enberg. Oh, sure, doing the Padres games, yeah. Doing Padres, yeah, I think he's in his 80s too, and he hasn't missed a lick. I, I was so surprised when he decided he wanted to do baseball again. Oh yeah, he's a he's a great announcer. Yeah, yep, certainly is. Okay, our last question on tonight's Ask Us segment. Robbie asks us tonight: Wainwright, Harkey, Pujols, Votto, now Homer Bailey. Would you guys ever give a long-term contract to another baseball player ever? I'm not sure about Harkey, but the rest of them, I've, he's got a pretty good case. Yeah, it's not ending against those players. It's the impact that contract has on your organization and how it, it just immobilizes you. You can't do anything. And if that player gets hurt, like Joey Votto has been hurt, it's almost impossible to have any wiggle room to go out there and, and make that deal. I would have rather, you know, if it was possible, sign Joey Votto to a five- or six-year contract, give him more money per year, let him become a free agent then. So, you know, that's ten years for a guy who plays a position that's easily replaced. There's a lot of power-hitting first basemen that come up through the ranks. I thought it was a disastrous deal. And, you know, I, I cannot justify a position, certainly not pitcher. You, you never want to sign a pitcher to a long-term deal because of injury. And the only thing I would say is it, I think the good deals are like Billy Hamilton. I think Billy Hamilton is going to be a really, really good player for the next five or six years. So I would sign him now to a five- or six-year deal uh, to avoid arbitration. But beyond that, no, I, I don't see the value of it, and I think it's been proven to be a, a very flawed uh, approach. Mark, I agree with you, and I don't think there's any way we're ever going to go back to, you know, the old baseball players. You know, 20, 30 years ago, we're playing on one-year one contracts. We're yeah. never going to go back to that. And I know this idea will never fly. It will never fly with the union. It will never fly with any player. Never. But what I would really like to see happen is, for example, in a Homer Bailey situation, if this guy has to undergo uh, arm surgery and is out all of next year, he only gets half salary. I, I know that will never fly, but I would love to see that because these guys, like like Doherty is talking about with, with Joey Votto, have absolutely no incentive to come back and play. And that's not right. They're taking that money just like Walt Jockety is from Castellini and walking away from it. Well, one time you could insure the players. Now, a lot of the clubs are not doing that anymore because the insurance was so high. Well, if the insurance is really high, it's because the insurance companies who underwrite all kinds of risk factors say, that's a stupid deal because we're, it's likely we're going to have to pay out. Well, if they're making that decision not to insure those players unless it's an exorbitant rate, Maybe the general managers ought to listen to that and say, oh, wait, well, yeah, that's right. If Joey Votto gets hurt, if this knee injury he's got is far more severe than we think, and what happens if, if he hurts himself to the point that he can't play anymore? He's got nine years left on his contract. The Reds are done for a decade. <laughs> and right. so, so in answer to our callers, our, our listeners' question, 
I don't think anybody is worth that kind of risk. Joey Votto is going to be 41 years old when his contract is over. Is he going to be worth $25 million a year at 25 or at, at 41? No, he won't. And, Mark, I talked with Greg Mitchell, our producer, earlier today about this. This question, Albert Pujols is the name that's always brought up. He'll be 41, 42 also when his contract is up. In the first two years of his contract with the Angels, that 10-year deal, he was terrible. This year he's having a good year. But I go back to, you know, the old boxing axiom is every good fighter has one good fight left in him. And I think this is that year for Pujols. He's having a great year. Look at Josh Hamilton, former Reds player. He signed a five-year deal, outlandish deal, with the Angels. Hey, last year was a lost year. He was hurt most of the year. This year, he's batting two sixty-five, eight homers, 35 RBIs. Mark, that rivals what Nick Swisher's doing. Well, I think what he endured as a young man is coming back to haunt him physically. And uh, that was the fear the Reds had. Uh, but, you know, the, the overriding issue is what do you do with these players? And I really admire Billy Bean and Theo Epstein and some of these other guys who aren't afraid to make moves. They're not afraid to maximize the value out of a player uh, when he perceives they can improve the team, whether it's for one year, two years, or three years. Um, you know, the, the Reds have another issue with Jay Bruce. Uh, Jay Bruce is hitting 225. He's going to probably have 60 RBIs this year. Uh, he might hit 15 home runs. Uh, he, he, the league has figured him out. That is a scary prospect that over the next four or five years, you're going to have these players making all this money and not producing. And and that goes back to the general manager. There's nobody else to blame. But, Mark, you know, i got to look at those stats that you just brought up for Jay Bruce. If that guy gets... 75 to 85 RBIs and bats 220, I could care less. No, right now he's got 50. He's got 50 RBIs. Yeah. Okay, and they've got what? 30, you said 33 games left, 34 yeah. games left? Yeah. Now he's not going to reach he's not going to reach 75 or 80. But what I'm saying is, you know, hey, that those are Brooks Robinson numbers, Mark. You know, every year Brooks Robinson hit 225, 230, 240. I think his highest batting average might have been you know, average batting average was around 245, but every year he was always up around 80 to 90 RBIs for Baltimore. Yeah, and that's, I guess you could live with that. Jay's a good defensive player, but you, what you would hope for, that he would continue to develop as a player. And right now, something is, is amiss, and maybe it's because that he doesn't have Votto in the lineup to protect him. I think all the players are suffering from that. I mean, imagine how good... You know, Frazier's driven in. He'll he'll drive in 80 runs this year. Frazier will. He he'd be much better if he had Votto and another bat in the lineup. But right now, that lineup is so easily pitched to that it's a joke, and uh, it, it's a broken record. But uh, that's the you know we're not the general managers. Uh, the Reds control everything, and their decision has been that 2014 is a lost year. They made that decision in June, and uh, they're sticking by it. Well, it's too bad we're not the GMs, Mark, because the Indians would have had Cespedes and David Price on their ball club right now, and the Reds would have had Giancarlo Stanton and Homer Bailey would have been gone to the Dodgers. <laughs> yeah, and we probably would have won our divisions. Probably so. Hey, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment tonight. Don't forget you can send in your questions next week to Ask Us or DMitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com, or you can tweet them in to at OHBB co-host. Mark, a couple of items here I want to go over before we uh, end tonight's show. Rob Manfred, the right-hand man for Bud Selig, will be the new Major League Baseball commissioner. That will happen toward the end of January. First of all, what do you think about that pick? We pretty much had that figured that that's who it was going to be. And if you're the baseball commissioner, what's the first thing you do as the new baseball commissioner? Well, the first thing I do is not going to be the first thing he'll do, uh, which was reinstate Pete Rose. But uh, I think that would be such a great thing for him to start his his, his tenure off with. Uh, you know, forgive and forget and let's move on and let's, let's use Pete as an example for other people. He gave up so, so much. But from what I understand, this guy is a clone of Bud Selig philosophically, so that's not going to happen. 
you know, I think baseball's in good shape right now. The, the, the big issue are TV contracts. And I don't see any work stoppages on the horizon. Be, everybody would be foolish if there were. So I, I think he, we won't see, in my opinion, much of a change in, in his leadership. Uh, where I think you saw a big change is when uh, Roselle left in a, the NFL and uh, the new uh, NFL commissioner came on board. Uh, he, he made a lot of changes, and not all of them good. But I, I think Manfred is going to be pretty pretty much a clone of um, Seelig. Mark, I heard Bob Costas talk about Pete Rose the other day, and he believes that Pete should be reinstated also. But another instance came up in talking about Pete Rose that the Baseball Writers of Association are now saying if Pete is ever reinstated, his 15 years of eligibility, which they just recently reduced to 10, are over, and they will not vote on him to go into the Hall of Fame. Even though he hasn't come up on any ballot, his eligibility is over, and it would have to go to the Veterans Committee. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's a moot point because I don't think he's being reinstated. But I've always argued, why in the heck does the Hall of Fame adhere to what Major League Baseball? It's not owned by Major League Baseball. They have the right to make Pete part of the Hall of Fame today, and they, and they don't do it. So I, I don't I don't understand that logic, and I don't understand the writers, uh, you know, not, it, they, they conveniently forget all the stuff that's happened between when Pete Rose was indicted to now, and to have a Hall of Fame, not have Pete Rose in it is a joke. Oh, I, I agree with you totally. I don't think it's the Hall of Fame until Pete is in it, but there's one little word that these baseball writers like to hold over everyone's heads. Control. Yeah. They have all the control. Until that is taken away from them, nothing's ever going to get done. Next question before we wrap things up tonight, Mark. Of course, the Little League World Series is going on in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. And the big story coming out of there is the girl from Philadelphia, Monane Davis. She's going to be pitching on Wednesday night. And so far, she's done a pretty good job. She's got a pretty good fastball, looks good out there on the mound. She says that her goal in life is to be the point guard for the Connecticut women's basketball team but I gotta ask you do you think there is ever going to be a time and if so how far away that Major League Baseball will have their first woman's player well I think it's I think it's possible uh, if it's a pitcher and the pitcher develops a knuckleball <clears throat> because that is would make her very very powerful <laughs> on the mound if she had a knuckleball because the less weight you are, I mean, you could have a 110-pound, five-foot-two-inch young lady throwing a knuckleball that would be unhittable, uh, because there's no no force behind it. That's what you want. Uh, aside from that, I don't see a position player ever being a female. There's not, not going to be big enough or strong enough, uh, unless maybe they played second base uh, possibility. But it's it's the bat. I, I don't I don't think uh, they would be able to to swing a bat, but. Who knows? I mean, I, you know, women are getting bigger and stronger every year, and I'm all for it. I mean, if they can, if they can compete, I'm all for it. But this this little Monet Davis, I saw a, a thing on, on on I think it was ESPN about her her pitch, and she has the perfect pitch. Her her arm slot, uh, her repeating of her motion is perfect, and they literally are now telling some college players to look at her how she throws the ball and emulate her, which I think is a great thing for her. Yeah, I think she's got she does have a nice motion. She really does. And and her release point is good. She's got good form. Uh she just throws the ball free and easy and, and it's fun watching her. If you get a chance on Wednesday night, watch it. It's on ESPN. I think the game time is eight o'clock and she is slated to be on the hill. Mark, it's gonna do it. What's what do the Reds have? I know they're in St. Louis tonight. What do they have after this series? Now, they have Atlanta after this series, uh, and I, I think a week from tonight, uh, we're, we're going to say the Reds haven't won a game. Wow. Okay. I'll hold you to that. The Indians, they've got Minnesota for a three-game set coming up starting out tomorrow night, and then they've got Houston over the weekend. Then they go to Chicago to face the White Sox. Mark, we'll see if you're right next week. Have a good week. All right, David. Take care. That's going to do it for our show tonight. 
Thanks a lot for joining us. Don't forget the Ultimate Sports Talk Show at 7 o'clock on Thursday evening. Mark and I will be back with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show next Monday night at 9 o'clock. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing the show, but also our thanks to you most of all for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Good night, everybody.